morning. Um, so in the past, we've done like ugly Christmas sweaters. Um, so I'm setting it out to you guys, the speakers that are coming up um, soon. You have to come up with an ugly Christmas hat or accessory or something like that um, to wear during your sermon. Okay. <laughs> yes, I'm not going to wear this the whole time because then I feel like you won't listen to a word I say. Okay, so... All the edge kids who are in service, raise your hand, where are you? You are in for a treat, because today you get to find out just how old Miss Kendall actually is. Um, so, when I was your age, um, recycling, like, wasn't a thing. Um, I, I mean, I guess on the West Coast, it probably had been, like, a thing for, like, a decade, but around here, people didn't really recycle. And um, the main reason that that was the way it was, is that it was really, really inconvenient to recycle. Um, There was no curbside recycling. There was no single stream recycling. There was, you had to basically set aside the paper and the cans and glass and only certain types of glass. You had to keep it and then you had to drive it to a recycling center at a designated time once a week. And for us, the closest recycling center was the IKEA parking lot in White Marsh every Saturday morning, and I think I was maybe fifth or sixth grade, I felt compelled that our family desperately needed to be recycling. And so my sweet mother indulged me and said, okay, we'll set aside the recycling, and every Saturday morning we're going to get up and we're going to drive our recycling over to the IKEA parking lot. So it's probably not surprising that once I got to middle school and I found out that there was a recycling club that I quickly uh, signed up. Um, Mark still loves to make fun of the fact that I was in a recycling club. But our school, just like our neighborhood, didn't have recycling that came and collected the recycling. So if you wanted to recycle, some faculty member had to be responsible for taking the recycling to wherever the closest recycling place was. So my math teacher started this recycling club And on Friday afternoons, we'd walk around to all the classrooms, and we'd gather up the paper and load it into his probably really fuel-efficient vehicle that he was driving, and he would take it to the recycling center. And if you look on the front of your bulletin, you'll see a picture of a T-shirt. Yeah, I used to wear T-shirts like that, like, all the time, without irony. This was my go-to look. I was all about endangered species and saving the planet. I think, I don't know, I've been that way for a long time. I think because part of me just, when I see a species disappearing from the planet, that feels wrong to me, right? When I see someone um, driving down the highway and rolling down their window and throwing a McDonald's wrapper outside of their car, um, I kind of wonder what planet they've been living on for the past I don't know, 50 years, since when was it cool to litter, you know? just feels wrong to me. And yet, there's many people, Christians included, who basically say, like, what's the point of caring about the environment at all, or animals, or anything like that? In fact, I've heard Christians say things like, oh, what does it matter? It's all going to burn one day anyway, right? What does it matter? I think, uh, I heard this explained recently by Rob Bell, uh, that they might be subscribing to what he calls a three-tiered kingdom. 
And what three-tiered kingdom basically means is that everything that we can see is earth, right? It's, all, it's what we can see all around us. That God and the heavens are up, and that the opposite of God, heaven, good, whatever, would be down, right? So down is death and hell and a very three-tiered way of understanding what's going on. And this is not, this is something that, this is a way that people have been thinking about our world forever. And it's all over scripture. This is not like, I'm not talking about something that's outside of the Bible. This is right there, Acts 1, right? Jesus ascended up into heaven, up into a cloud. Even the Nicene Creed, which we say every time we take communion, there's language like, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven in accordance with the scriptures. And then later, he, meaning Jesus, ascended up into heaven. That's three-tiered thinking. So there's nothing in, fundamentally, there's nothing wrong with thinking about our world like that, but it creates a couple of problems. The first problem is, in the past, I don't know, 500 years, the way that we understand Earth, like planet Earth, has changed significantly. Well, for one, like we realize that it's round now. Um, we're not going to sail off and fall off the edge. Um, the whole idea of up and down is kind of relative, right? There's not this universal up or universal down. Uh, we've traveled into space. We've gone up there and uh, rode around the moon, and we didn't see a god sitting on a cloud playing a harp, right? When we went out with our probes, we didn't see any heavenly pearly gates. And you guys are probably thinking I'm sounding ridiculous, but our idea about the way that our world works has changed quite a bit. And so when we read these articles about how people are walking away from the church, is it any wonder that people find this idea, this three-tiered thinking, a little less relevant than maybe they did a thousand years ago? It's not saying that it's wrong, it's just that we need to reconcile it with what we know about the world now. The other problem with the three-tiered model is that if God and the heavens are up, and we're here, then here's God just kind of like poking his nose in every once in a while. He's just coming on down, meddling in our business, and then going back. It also leads to this idea of this select group of people that say this select prayer, and then they go up into heaven, and then good luck for everyone who's left here. Not only everyone, but every animal, every tree, every stream, every ocean, you see what I'm saying, how that's problematic? Because if there's a couple people who are going up here, then like, it's not really good news for like, the vast majority of creation. It's not. I would argue it's not biblical either. Let's go all the way to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As has been said from this very pulpit multiple times, God did not need to create us. God created us out of love, out of a desire to create. And he created the heavens and the earth and the land and the sea and the animals and then us last, right? And at the end of all of it, he looked at what he had made and he said, it is very good. He delights in his creation, in all of it. 
And another misconception about this first creation is that before the fall, that man was just supposed to just kind of wander around the garden and hang out with God. And yes, we were walking around the garden hanging out with God, but we were given jobs from the very beginning. And I went to go see N.T. Wright um, lecture a couple weeks ago. I know a few, of, a few of you were there as well. And I think I understood about half of what he said, but in the half that I did understand, he talks about the roles that we were given by God. He said that we were meant to be wise stewards of creation. And then N.T. Wright later said, it was what we were made for, and it was what we were saved for, to be wise stewards of creation. So we know this creation story. God created it all, and in, by chapter 3 um, is when we get the fall. It's amazing how quickly mankind deteriorates after the fall, right? Like we, we go like just a little bit farther, and we've got murder and incest and all sorts of terrible, horrible things. And we tend to focus on the sin that humans encounter and create, Uh, but what often gets forgot about is that the harmony of all creation was disrupted at that point. One of the very first things that happens after the fall is that the humans have now, for the first time, realized that they were naked. They were naked this entire time, and they were totally comfortable in their nakedness. And then all of a sudden, they partake of this apple, and they are aware that they are naked, and they are ashamed. And God, being the loving Heavenly Father that he is, in 321, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So I guess he could have just like said, poof, and there was like a fur coat for them to wear, but more likely an animal had to die for them to be clothed for the first time ever. Up until this point in time, no animals had to be slaughtered for clothing. This was a new thing. So with sin entering the world also came animals being treated the way they weren't meant to be treated and a whole ripple, t- a ripple effect that went for just not just through mankind but through animals, through the exploitation of land, through pollution, all of these things that we have now. So, good news is that we know the end of the story. I just talked about creation. If we go all the way to the other end of the Bible, Revelation 22, we get new creation. Revelation 2, 1 through 5 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So 
we have this three-tiered understanding that we're pretty familiar with. But I think a more helpful way, and maybe a more relevant way to think about it, is a no-tiered kingdom. This idea of God and heaven coming here, coming in here and fixing what's here, restoring earth as we know it, and reinstating what God initially created. And if you remember, God created the heavens and the earth and the land and the sea and animals and then humans. When I read this passage in Revelation, it looks to me that he might fix the earth the exact same way. He's going to fix the water. When was the last time you saw a river as clear as crystal? And that from that water grows the tree of life and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This idea that it's not going to be like, well, humans are okay, but the earth is all going to burn, and it's not going to be, a, it's not going to look like anything like what we know, and it's just going to all burn down to the ground, and then he's going to build something new up. No, I think he's going to fix what he made and said was very good from the very beginning. So when we understand heaven, a better understanding is here. It's here, you know. It can be up, but it's here too. When Jesus came, his message to his people was not, let's talk about what's going to happen after you die and go up into heaven. That wasn't what he was talking about. Yeah, he was concerned about life after death, absolutely. But his main message was that the kingdom of God is here, right? The kingdom of God is like, repent for the kingdom of God is near. That was what he was about. He wanted them to think about heaven differently and about God differently. To me, not only is this a more relevant way of thinking about heaven, thinking about creation, but it's also much better news for many more things. Instead of being this small group of people that go up to heaven and good luck everybody else, it's really good news for us, it's really good news for the animals, it's really good news for creation, and it gives us a reason to care about this stuff. I'm not saying that everyone needs to go out and buy a Prius like Jason, but it makes sense to care about what happens to the world that God has given us. So why are we talking about creation and new creation? Well, we are starting a season of Advent. Advent is about a lot of things. Joe has called this sermon series Anticipate. I think there's multiple things we can be anticipating right now. The first, um, as the church has done historically, it's a time to anticipate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I like to think of it as a time to, you know, really prepare room inside of your soul for him to dwell and maybe to dwell more fully. But it's also a time of anticipating of what it's going to be like when God comes back when Christ is our light and we don't need a sun anymore and what that will look like, what new creation will look like, what role we'll play in that. 
But it's also a season of anticipation for our church. And when I say our church, I mean New Hope Community Church. In a month, we are not going to be meeting here anymore. In a month. We're in a time where things are quickly changing and we are setting on to a whole new endeavor with a whole new partnership that we don't even know fully what it's going to look like yet. And this has been a long season of waiting and planning and discussing. But now this is really happening, like really soon. And I think that in the face of such a huge change for our church and for what God might have us do, there's two ways we can respond to it. The first way is to, well, I'm going to use a metaphor. I'm going to use a metaphor. Think about, like, we're all going on a road trip. All of New Hope is piling into a van together to go on this road trip. We can either be that guy that, like, has way too many suitcases and a big old backpack, and he's, like, kind of cramming it in and making everybody else uncomfortable and has a big old sad, grumpy face on and gets into the van and is like, okay. Where are we going? Okay. What do I have to do? Yep. Uh-huh. Really? Okay. Uh, well, I don't know how we're going to get... What are we even going to do when we get there? What? Really? Oh, do you even... Know? Gosh. Okay. Fine. Fine. I guess I'm doing this. guess we're doing this. We can be that guy. Not the best guy to be, right? Or we can be the guy that has been um, doodling on a road map about all the places that he wants to stop and all the people that he'd like to meet and all the things he wants to do once he gets there. I challenge you during this time of anticipation to carve out space to dream. You didn't think I'd say dream, did you? To dream about what our future could look like. To dream about what God could be calling us to to dream about what this partnership could look like. I challenge you to get excited. Because if we can do that, if we can be in a place of anticipation and excitement, then I think God can do some miraculous things in and through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, creator of all things. We ask you to constantly remind us of our God-given roles to be wise stewards of creation. We ask that you would burn that role into our brain and that we would approach our lives in a way that is good to all of your creation. We thank you for this time of Advent, this time of anticipation. We ask that you would create in us an excitement that wouldn't be um, dampened by fear or worry, that you would take that away, that you would take our baggage away, and you would give us space to dream about what you may have for us.
thank you for your son. Thank you for sending him to us so that we could better understand you, so that we could better understand heaven. And that you gave us a way to be fully restored before you. And it is in your most holy name we pray. Amen.